is Camilla and you're listening to The Cat's Whisker, a time machine for all those who love rock and roll and want to know everything about it. People, stories and the music that changed the world. In a few words, it doesn't matter whether you've lived through those years or just like me, you've always wondered what it was like. I have loads of stories to tell and great music to play. So, let's roll! and welcome back to the cat's whisker i am camilla and today's episode is going to be a little bit different i mean yes we're still going to talk about a group but it's not the first group you might think of when you talk about rock and roll because today we're talking about the andrews sisters i've already mentioned them quite a bit so i think they definitely need an episode of their own i know what you might be thinking what the hell is this to do with anything Well, today I will tell you why I think that the Andrews sisters are very relevant for rock and roll history. Because they weren't just a vocal group. And I'm not only considering them because of their influence on rock and roll and their marvelous harmonies, but because they cheered up soldiers and a whole nation during the war and were and still probably are the indisputable queens of big band and swing music. Three sisters that managed to have 46 singles in the top 10 charts, more than Elvis and the Beatles, and appear in 17 Hollywood films. Laverne, Maxine and Patty were probably the most successful vocal ensemble of the first part of the 20th century. Their career literally exploded at the end of the Great Depression and flourished during the Second World War. Although they can't be considered rock and roll, I strongly believe that some of their songs are an early form of rhythm and blues that, as we know, will then become rock and roll. And if you don't believe me, try to listen to Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy, one of their early songs, and imagine a 12-bar rock and roll riff going behind it. Laverne was the oldest of the three, born in 1911. Maxine was born in 1916, and Patty only two years later. The dad's surname was originally Andreas, revealing his Greek ancestry, but he changed it to Andrews when he moved to the United States and married Olga, a Norwegian-American woman. The three sisters were born and raised in Minnesota, and as it usually happens, they started out really young. They loved big band music and jazz, and ever since they started singing together, they developed their own unique style that have been often compared to the sound of three trumpets in harmony. Which I know, it sounds a little bit crazy, but if you've heard them, you know what I'm talking about. Also, most singers, especially girl groups at that time, would really whisper in their microphones, sing very, very softly. So essentially, when three talented girls started singing in full voice with such energy and charisma, adding comedic elements to their songs and dance routines, everyone knew they were definitely witnessing something new. Ever since they were three kids around the piano, their specialty was close harmony. Although their voices were nearly always featured together in records, the lead singer was Patty, the younger sister. And let me tell you, these women were born to sing together. Allow me to explain. Laverne, being a contralto, would sing the lower harmony. He was the top man at his craft. But then his number came up and he was gone with the draft. Is in the army now, a blowing reveille. He's the boogie woogie bugle boy of company B. Maxine then, who was a soprano, would sing the highest harmony. He was the top man at his craft. 
But then his number came up and he was gone with the draft. He's in the army now, a blowing reveille. He's the boogie boogie bugle boy, Company B. Patty was a mezzo soprano, the type of voice that lies exactly in the middle. He was a top man at his craft. But then his number came up and he was gone with the draft. He's in the army now, a blowing reveille. He's the boogie boogie bugle boy, Company B. And when you put them together. The results were amazing. He was the top man at his craft. But then his number came up and he was gone with the draft. He's in the army now, a blowing reveille. He's a boogie woogie bugle boy, Company B. But unlike me, these three could pick up a harmony in seconds. They started when Patty was only seven and they got on the road pretty much straight away. They wanted to support their family after all. And even if we know they're absolutely amazing, they struggled a lot at the beginning. The 30s in the US were quite hard. With the Great Depression, artists were struggling because not many people happened to have enough money to afford entertainment. Laverne, Maxine and Patty started out as a tribute to the Boswell sisters, another singing trio mainly active during the 20s and the 30s. And in the early 30s, the Andrews sisters also toured with a vaudeville show which if you never heard of it, it is a theatrical variety with actors, musicians and dancers. Even when the show stopped touring, the three sisters kept taking their act everywhere they could, rehearsing every day. Some people that actually knew them said that when they were together, the three girls didn't even speak to each other. They would sing literally all the time. They were traveling all across the country to get any gig they could find, sometimes for a very small pay. They could live one week with one chicken, portioning it between the three of them. This was their life. And the more gigs they got, the more makeup Patty had to wear in order to disguise her age. And then, finally, the plot twist. After six years on the road, in October 1936, Vic Schoen, who had worked with the sisters on tour, arranged for them to sing a song on a radio broadcast. That was a breakthrough they had been waiting for. On that same moment, whilst their voices were spreading through the airwaves, the founder of Decca Records was traveling in a taxi and heard them on the radio. He was so impressed that he instantly decided to send one of his agents, Lou Levy, to find the girls. Levy entered the hotel where the three were and said, Anybody know where the Andrew sisters are? And the girls, all in unison, turned and exclaimed, We are the Andrew sisters! I know, it sounds like a film. They signed with Decca the next day, with Vic Schoen as their musical director and arranger. In 1936, they released their first song, and it became a hit. And needless to say, the story behind it is absolutely crazy. I'm talking about Beymer Bistuschen, which means to me you are beautiful in Yiddish. It's catchy, it's ethnic, and perfectly executed. That's probably why it became a hit, even if it was the B-side. Yes, because basically it sounded like nothing else on a market largely populated by big band music without any vocals or with only a solo singer. The song was originally written in Hebrew. Decca acquired its rights to translate it into English and left just a couple words in the original language. The American public was ecstatic when it came out. They started running to shops asking for Buy a beer, Mr. Shane? Or My mere bits of shame. They didn't quite catch the title at first, but oh boy, was that song good. Fun fact, the song was an immediate success all over the world. 
even in Nazi Germany. And apparently Hitler couldn't say no to the Andrews sisters either. Yes, you heard me right. Probably one of the worst men ever existed loved a Yiddish song by three American women. Let's give it a little bit of context. World War II would start only two years later. In Nazi Germany though, the propaganda against Jewish people and their culture started a long time before then. Therefore, of course, any type of song coming from that background was banned pretty much straight away. So how did their song become so popular? Legend has it that Bayern Bis to Shame arrived to Germany with a slightly Germanized title, fooling everyone into thinking that maybe those weird sounding words came from a mysterious southern German dialect. So obviously, no one got any problem with that. I love to think that in those horrible times, all the Jews in Germany could, even for a brief moment, hear a Yiddish song becoming a hit and thinking, hmm, thank God these idiots have no idea what this is about. But censorship arrived quite fast when the press exposed the true background of the Andrew sisters song. Hitler's propagandist Goebbels then banned the song straight away. But swing music actually created a very interesting movement between the youth of the period. And I dedicated an entire episode called The Swing Kids to this phenomenon. So if you're interested, you should check it out. By Mir Bistushen quickly became the first million selling record by a female group and the three sisters became celebrities. Those brassy sounding voices that made them fail many auditions were now changing the music industry and their lives. They went from sharing a chicken to making 20 grand a week, hitting the peak of their careers during wartime. And they also collaborated with other famous acts. In 1939, at the beginning of their stardom, another group proved to be very successful, Glenn Miller and his band. They were hosting a radio program on CBS, but since the producers thought that Glenn Miller wasn't famous enough, they wanted someone else to join in. And the Under Sisters quickly became co-hosts, going on air every Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday night. The two acts together were just a match made in heaven. The brassy voice of the sisters worked perfectly with the strong swing band behind them. Although they didn't work together for long, also because Glenn Miller actually died while performing in Europe for the troops, I think that their brief collaboration was absolutely incredible. The trio during that period was insanely busy. Not only were they performing all the time, but they were also taking part in different radio shows and actually during their whole career, they acted in 17 Hollywood films. And how did that come about? It all started in 1940 when the trio signed a contract with Universal Studios. They got paired up with a comical duo called the Ritz Brothers for the film Argentine Nights. They absolutely hated it. When they went to Hollywood, the three girls were hoping for a Hollywood star treatment and they got everything but that. The dresses they had to wear in the film came from the extras department and were absolutely horrendous. When the three went to the film's premiere and saw themselves for the first time on the big screen, they were so horrified that when the movie ended, they ran home crying. Interestingly enough though, the audience absolutely loved them. I mean, how can you not? So Universal called them back to take part in book privates. It was an enormous success and established them as movie stars as well as singers. 
They were funny after all, especially Patsy, and showed their enthusiasm to the world with energetic dance routines they would choreograph themselves and that would instantly become hits. And even if their first movies, like Buck's Private, were filmed right before the war, the tone was already heavily propagandistic. From that moment on, they took part in many musical comedies in uniform. And in 1941, their song Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy was nominated for an Academy Award. And when the US officially entered World War II, the Andrews sisters were between the first artists to help in the opening of the LA Hollywood Canteen, a club where Hollywood workers such as movie stars, but also makeup artists, grips, dancers, musicians, screenwriters, and many more, volunteered to offer food and entertainment to servicemen. Only GIs could have access to the canteen, a place where Hollywood stars were preparing food, serving the customers, washing the dishes, and also performing and dancing with the servicemen and women from the US or allied countries. It became such an interesting place that Warner Bros. even decided to do a film about it while it was still in service in 1944. During the war, the Andrews sisters became America's wartime sweethearts, performing at first in American bases in the US and for enlisted and wounded men. Certainly though, their biggest achievement must have been being able to tour overseas with the USO to entertain soldiers in Europe. They were singing and dancing for these men that had seen all the horrors of the war and that could finally experience some joy brought from home. And apparently, in every leg of the tour, they always treated three random servicemen for dinner when possible. Even when they were back in the US, the sisters kept recording. During that period, they focused on victory discs, exclusively made to boost the morale of the troops. One of them is the amazing rum and Coca-Cola. It is clearly a Calypso-type song, and the sisters sang it with a Trinidadian accent. It's a very laid-back and nice tune that was an instant success, and even if the sisters didn't really pay much attention to the lyrics when they recorded it, especially since they did it in less than 10 minutes without a backing band and after receiving the song for the first time the night before, Roman Coca-Cola sparked some controversy. Not only for the mention of alcohol and an actual brand, Coca-Cola, but for some suggestive verses in the lyrics, such as both mother and daughter working for the Yankee dollar. Mmm. The sisters' most important collaboration, though, is without a shadow of a doubt, the one with Bing Crosby. They recorded with him 47 songs and 23 of them charted on Billboard. Many of you probably know their Christmas songs like Jingle Bells, but that's just a tiny part of their work together. They toured extensively together and recorded several albums, even after the war. And for a brief period, the Andrews sisters and Bing Crosby performed alongside one of the greatest minds of the last century, our dear friend, Mr. Les Paul. And I say dear friend because I dedicated two episodes to him and Mary Ford, so if you're interested, you can check those out as well. And as I was saying, the Andrews sisters and Bing Crosby recorded a lot more than just Christmas songs. Between them, the first ones to be released were Chiri Bidi Bin and Yodeling Jive, both charted pretty well. And even if the three were now superstars, at the peak of their career, they were all still living with their parents in a hotel. Not only that, but they weren't really free to do anything. Growing up as performers definitely took a toll on them. And once they could support themselves, Maxine and Patty in particular, fought to have more freedom. And it wasn't such a crazy ask after all, since every time they had a date with a boy, the whole family would tag along. 
Laverne, the oldest, always sided with the parents when it came to distractions. It was scared that boyfriends would create frictions in the group. But that didn't stop Maxine and Patty from starting relationships in secret. And I guess the biggest secret at that time became the fact that Maxine decided to marry Lou Levy, the sister's manager. After the war, though, everything got more relaxed when the family settled in Hollywood and both Laverne and Patty got married. The trio continued to prove successful even after the war. Their collaboration with Bing Crosby continued and they joined him and Bob Hope in 1947 for the film Road to Rio. Soon enough, though, the bubble finally burst. It was during that period that everything started to fall apart. Their marriages weren't doing great and both of their parents died at the end of the 40s. And this created many frictions between the three girls. Also, with the advent of new music and younger performers, the sisters weren't selling as well as they used to. At first, they blamed it on their arranger, Vic Schoen, and fired him. Wally Weschler, the sisters' pianist, and Patty's new boyfriend became their new musical director and manager. But as the years went by, Patty took the lead on the sisters' songs more and more often. In records like I Can Dream Can't I, it's clear that Patty was now the star, whilst Maxine and Laverne got relegated to backing vocals. That's when Weschler started pushing for Patty to ask for more money. The sisters' contract with Decca obviously divided the proceedings of the records into three equal parts, but Weschler felt very strongly about Patty's rights and was definitely instrumental in the split between the sisters. That happened in 1953 when Patty pursued her solo career. Apparently, the frictions between them were so big that Maxine and Laverne learned about Patty's new venture from a gossip column in a newspaper. And actually, the constant drama between the three of them was always making the papers. Especially the rivalry between Maxine and Patty. Laverne, in a way, being the oldest one, always acted like a peacemaker, a mediator between the two younger sisters. Laverne even admitted that the first time she saw Patty performing on her own, she stood in the back of the club, crying in silence. And now, without their lead singer, Maxine and Laverne had to try and tour as a duo, but that didn't really work out either, and proved to be very hard, especially for Maxine, who attempted suicide at the end of 1954. But it wasn't over. Yet. The three would get back together in 1956, advertising the reunion with a press conference where they posed for a picture where they buried a hatchet in a cake. This will produce their comeback album, Fresh and Fancy Free. In the 50s though, their career started to decline. Not only rock and roll was now the new exciting sensation, but innumerable girl groups were now forming, with the Maguire sisters in the US and the Beverly sisters in the UK. But they kept singing in clubs, especially in Vegas, and released new records during the 60s. They even took part in the Sammy Davis Jr. show with the Supremes, where they swapped roles, the Supremes were singing the sisters' hits and vice versa. Watch it on YouTube is very, very good and they all look like they're having the time of their lives. In 1967 though, Laverne got diagnosed with cancer and would die the following year. The sisters asked singer Joyce the Young to take her place, but the old tensions, now that Laverne was gone, kept creeping in. Especially because Patty's husband was constantly trying to exclude Maxine in 1968, the sisters broke up again. But when Bette Midler revived their Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy in 1973, Patty and Maxine got back together one last time to perform in the musical 
over here. It was about three sisters who wanted to perform for the USO during the war. And, fun fact, John Travolta was in the cast. Patty and Maxine, though, only interacted on a professional level during that time, but the situation became absolutely unbearable when Patty one night decided she wasn't going on stage for the last number of the show. When Maxine decided to check on her and see what was going on, Patty's husband just told her, leave, you're not one of the Andrews sisters anymore. And that was the final straw. They both worked as solo artists for years, but unfortunately never reconnected. Maxine was always desperate to have a relationship with her sister Patty, but it never happened. She spent the last years of her life with her manager and partner, Linda Wells, and died in 1995. Patty, who unfortunately always considered her sister a close chapter, died in 2013, aged 94. So again, you might ask me, but you are doing a rock and roll podcast. Why are you talking about the Andrews sisters? I mean, I kind of hope it's clear by now. <laughs> but their charisma, their enthusiasm definitely influenced the music of all the ones that came after them. Let's not forget that all those people that will become rock and roll stars grew up with the Andrews sisters music, watching their dance moves. And they didn't only influence girl groups. They influenced everyone with their amazing harmonies that will prove to be a very, very successful and important part in doo-wop and rock and roll and pop afterwards with their stage presence and attention to detail and their songs, which I know they didn't write, but they decided how to sing the song and they worked constantly with the arrangers and again, try to put like a boogie-woogie piano or an electric guitar playing 12-bar blues behind their voices, you know it's gonna become rock and roll. And they were the embodiment of the charisma and enthusiasm and energy of all those years that will change music history forever. Thank you for listening to this episode. It's been an absolute pleasure talking about these three talented women that influence so many great artists. And if you always want to be updated, you can follow me on Instagram at the Cat's Whisker Podcast and on TikTok at the Cat's Whisker. Let me know if you like the episode and until then, I'll see you next time. Ciao!